0: At the end, they're interviewing your daughters, and they say, so what kind of dad was he? What do you want him to say? Is this where you're supposed to make me cry?
1: Lead by Example with Bob Myers is presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook. You bet, you get. With Caesars, rewards must be 21 or older.
0: Welcome to Lead by Example. I'm your host, Bob Myers. Today, we have NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. Adam, thanks for coming over great to be here
1: if you don't have a sponsor yet can this be sponsored by the new nba app yeah yeah do it I encourage um all listeners to download it it's really fantastic we've been working on it for years they're really going to enjoy it keep up with all your latest teams and players yeah. throughout the league use it often so yeah
0: what else want to squeeze that in you have a book or anything like that's that. it that's it nothing else uh well thank you i appreciate you coming on um so We talk a lot, right? But there's a lot I don't know about you. Great to be here in the Warriors locker room. Do you like this? This is great. This is the actual locker room. This is the real locker room. And this guy's just kids work for over here. Dresses uh, right there. Does everybody rub the ball on top of Larry Oak? That that goes home to my uh, right by my bed each night. So that's good. It's it's great motivation. Oh, man. Um, So the fifth, sixth grade version of you, when the teacher says, what do you want to be? What do you say? that's say? an interesting question
1: the fifth grade version of me and somewhat still what goes on inside me is to be so incredibly nervous when I was asked a question in class that I could hardly answer I was the kid where when remember on the first day of class where you have to say here yeah yeah you couldn't do that I was I was thinking I'd be like <laughs> i are mean, like is Adam Silver here and I'd be like <laughs> like I honestly I I I, I that is you um talk to my therapist really you know i i yeah i guess it's what's internalized in me but i was an incredibly shy kid i mean i did things that i mean i participated but it it felt like it took a lot out of me like as simple as saying here in yeah. class yeah. and being i never volunteered um hardly ever raised my hand and i would answer if called on so i guess if yeah. if yeah. you know if a teacher had said Ask me a direct question yeah. i've answered it but but very nervously i mean i i think i was thought of as a shy yeah. kid um i was
0: pretty reserved yeah um what exactly so this question <laughs> well once you got here out and your teacher says adam you know you some kids say fireman or doctor or lawyer did you have well i it's I haven't told
1: Andy Bernstein this, but um, was the NBA yeah. official photographer. Is that for a long time? I would say I wanted to be a photographer. Really, I was fascinated with that. I mean, back in you know in the old days, little film Kodak camera. Yeah, and uh, you know, but then you didn't know if you actually caught the picture until yeah, brought yeah. it to the no. dark store. Yeah, different it, than the phone. Oh, yeah. yeah, a week later the <laughs> work. <laughs> it found out it was all it was black was yeah. on the on the film. But uh, um, I I wanted to be a photographer. That was for a while my um, dad was a lawyer yeah. at some point along the way I think it was more just I wanted to be like my dad yeah and um I you know I I think to me then saying well you know I I you know he seemed to me to be a great success story there's sort of family war yeah. around my dad you know sort of had made it from a tough background and fought in World War II gone to law school on the GI Bill and I, and so I modeled myself in many ways after him from that standpoint. And so probably, maybe, clearly not as early as fifth, sixth grade, but I'd say by the time I was in high school, um, I, if somebody had asked me, I'd say
0: my plan was to go to law school. Right. And I, of course, I ended up going yeah. to, go to law school. What about your dad? Because I've heard you reference him before. I've, I mean, you, you list off veteran, uh, you know, came up from, it sounds like, a tough place, um, not entitled was, was it his success that endeared you? Or was he actually, when you're sitting at home at dinner, were you sitting there or, or or, this is the guy I want to be as a person or because he achieved? I think all of those things, I mean, and especially as I've gotten
1: older and look back on my childhood, it gets, I assume as with most people, a bit more complicated, right? My parents, um, split when I was around it's interesting you said fifth sixth grade i think i was in fourth grade my parents split and i said i think that was i was the youngest um child at home that was i think particularly hard yeah. at me on the time and in those days and maybe other families were different so this would have been you know the early 70s yeah. i guess that yeah. um my parents didn't have sort of a formal um agreement in terms of when I would see my dad, I lived in the suburbs of right. New York City. He lived in New York. It was more to sort of catch him when you can right. and take the train right. into New York and see my dad. And, and, and even though it's not as if he was around that much more when I was younger, but I, I missed his presence. But he, had, he was a quiet man. Um, he wasn't one who sat me down and sort of gave me the lessons yeah. of life. And I, you know, it was more just someone who I emulated. I think as much he was my dad. I, you know, I, it's funny. It's, it's like I, I look back on it and sometimes it's, I, I should reflect on it more because it seemed almost a big, bit automatic. Like he's my dad. So I want to be like him.
0: But well, th- now asking, because it's kind of like we, the success. Yeah. Sure. But I was asking, like, yeah, was, I think I felt, I felt I was like him in certain ways.
1: I had a sense when I was a kid because even though he, as a lawyer and he was a uh, management labor lawyer, so he was someone that by virtue of his job needed to play a role and be extroverted in that um, capacity, but it seemed like he had compartmentalized that because my sense of him when he wasn't wearing that, um, playing that role as the lawyer, he was a man of very few words um, and was particularly quiet. I mean, I could, I often, the time I spent with my dad, sometimes it was odd, he'd hardly say anything. Like, you no, know, I mean, like, I was just, like, we would, well, I mean, one of the reasons I got so into the MBA is that when I, particularly around when my parents separated, I was about the age where I could take the train into New York City from Ryan New York where I lived for like a 40 minute train ride into New York City to meet my dad and one of the things we did together was go to Knicks games and he was a Knicks season ticket holder and he was a huge sports fan. Yankees, Knicks, um, not so much the NFL though he's a big Jets fan um, and we would go to games and he didn't say a lot. I mean, he would, he would be focused on the game. Did he want him to say stuff? I don't know. It's, 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 when I, when I, I, it's, it seems strange when I look back and I, and I think about this now as an adult, because now I'm, I'm the father of two daughters. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all I knew. Yeah. I mean, and there was a certain dignity about him. It was almost as if he, that's when I'd go to a friend's house and the father would be talking a lot. I think, Oh, why is that guy talking? So yeah, I was yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, so, so, I enjoyed the time with him, but, but I, it was sort of. He was like he would watch the game. I mean, once in a while, I always remember like it was funny as a kid. Like he would get angry at a. This was me as a kid. He would get angry at a player for missing a free throw, and I'd always think like, huh? I I always didn't say it loud, but why are you so angry at him missing a free throw? Like he wanted to hit it. It's yeah, I think of that all the time when I'm sitting at a game. Like yeah. you know, fans are so angry at a player for missing a free throw. Fans are, you know, no, there's I'm no bash like, I'm like, daddy, well, you know, I was really, like, and maybe to a certain extent that. I was that player in that yeah, moment, yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah. I didn't feel like, happy.
0: yeah, I no, no, can no. be
1: so mad at that guy. But, um, you know, he loved his sports. Yeah. Um, he loved boxing too, yeah. which was a huge sport back in those days. And it was an activity we did together. And, and when I was, when he still lived at home, when I was a bit younger, I remember the same thing. We'd sit on the couch and, you know, in those days you had one, you know, people only essentially had one television yeah, It was in their living room. Yeah, yeah. And so whatever your parents were watching, you watched. and I'd sit on the couch and often watch sports, football, whatever, on, you know, weekend afternoons with my dad. And, um, but it was just being in his presence. Again, he, he wouldn't say a lot. I think the law part, I remember I enjoyed to the extent that he would be on the phone yeah. talking to a client or talking to one of his associates at the law firm about a case. I liked just sitting in the room and listening to him. I mean, it's sort of, I think, just like young people yeah. in offices now, yeah. there's sure people
0: work on you, yeah. learn yep. for yep. us, yes. this is you and I yes. both yeah. did yeah. young people yeah. in the workplace. More lead by example after this. Spoiler alert, you're not going to win every bet you place. But with Caesars Sportsbook, win or lose, every bet gives you reward credits and tier credits, which you can exchange for the best perks in the game. Hotel stays, VIP experiences, sports and concert tickets, and more. Download the Caesars
1: Sportsbook app and start earning with Caesars Rewards. If you have a gambling problem in Arizona, call 1 800 Next Step. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1 800 522 4700. Indiana, call 1 800 9 with it. Iowa, call 1 800 Bets Off. Louisiana, call 1 877 770 Stop. Licensed to Horseshoe, Bossier, City, and Harris, New Orleans. Michigan, call 1 800 270 7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1 800 Gambler, which is 1 800 426 2537. Or in West Virginia, visit 1 800Gambler.net. New York, call 8 8- Seven seven eight H H O P E N Y or text H O P E N Y 467 369.
0: And we're back. So you're shy. Sounds like you and your dad didn't talk to each other. No, I, I'm kidding. No, no, no. no. I I it's, it's no, I have nobody's asked me these questions before. So, so so something. So you're young, Adam. You're not sure, but you the law appeals because your father is in that profession. What what happened to kind of give you your voice or because you sit in this pretty powerful job now where you can't just be meek. Um, you have to be in front, whether you like it or not. What, what happened, what shifted or what moment, what story where you realized and started getting that confidence of I can speak, I'm smart enough, I'm educated, I'm, I'm confident enough. When did you get thrust in that direction? It just is part of the answer, I'm, I'm remembering a friend of mine once said, and, and fairly
1: recently after I'd become commissioner, he said, you're the most introverted person in an extrovert job yeah. I've ever met. Yeah. And, and I would say I give so much credit to David Stern. So what happened is just jumping ahead. Um, I mean, I, I had some great role models along the way. Um, I clerked for a federal judge, a woman named Kimba Wood in New York. And I learned an enormous amount from her. But that was more of a, um intellectual exercise. Sure. I mean, certainly watching her on the bench, but she wasn't going out and giving speeches or... I am, you know, a a judge's chamber is a small group of people. She wasn't leading a lot of people, but I learned a fair amount from her. And then had worked with some really smart, um, you know, interesting people at a law firm for a few years. But I knew, like the first time I think I started to have my own voice is that after I'd gone to law school, after I'd clerked for a year, after I'd gone to large law firm in New York City, it was the first time I ever really f- realized that this is not exactly what I wanted to do. And I never, I've never regretted having gone to law school. And I certainly, and I loved the clerkship for the judge. And I, and I found working at the law firm really fascinating. And I'm glad I had that experience, but I concluded after I'd been at this firm for a year or so that, um, I probably didn't want to practice law. Uh, I, so it was a bit of a revelation, so or was it a, was it like an epiphany? You know, we, um, when the <laughs> famous quote, it was first it was slow, then it went really fast. You know, it was it was a slow burn, but then one day, yeah. I realized. But nothing that nothing triggered like I can't do this anymore. Right. Well, it was. I think at first I was concerned about letting my father down. Uh, you know, because he was still. He, he yeah, he was, he, was still right. clearly alive, still practicing law, and um, I was nervous yeah. to go to my dad and say I'm not doing this. I decided this isn't for me. Um. And by the way, I mean like he was a man of few words. He was not saying you need to practice law or my and my siblings want to practicing yeah. law. So it, it was something that I had taken on on my own. Yeah. But but um uh it, it was a I felt a bit liberated, to be honest. Like it was for the first time in my life I realized, all right, I've been in law school, you know, um gotten a great education, and I can pretty much do anything I want. Yeah. So I began this process while I was working the firm, of thinking what else I could do. And again, you know, I'm of the generation pre-internet. It wasn't easy to understand what people did in other positions. I remember somebody saying a friend saying to mine, You would love to be a producer. I it reminds me back wanting to be a photographer. You'd be a great producer. And I was thinking, what's a producer do? Like I didn't know if a producer's holding the camera of a producer saying Yeah. Who knows that? Yeah, how are you gonna find out? All of those things. And or somebody saying you should be a management consultant. I'm like, what's a management consultant do? And fortunately, this is where I got really lucky, that David Stern had worked at the same law firm my father had worked at. And I didn't know David Stern. And I wrote a bunch of people letters, old-fashioned, put-them-in-the-mail letters. And David um, or his office called me some number of weeks after I sent him the letter. And the letter was you know, dear Commissioner Stern, my father is Edward Silver, you know, and I'm a lawyer at Crevasse, & Moore, the firm I worked at in New York. And if you would ever have any time to give me advice, I'd really appreciate it because I was thinking he was someone who had made the transition from being, I mean, he had been a lawyer for a, a, a while. He rose to level of partner at a firm in New York and then went over to the NBA as the general counsel, sure. then became a commissioner. But I thought, here's a guy who was a lawyer, made this transition.
0: And interestingly enough, I was not thinking at the time that my goal was to work in the substance. I mean, when you write the letter and you ask for advice, often I think it's smart to ask for advice instead of a job, even if you want a job, ask for advice.
1: But to be honest, like, but, but you, it, it
0: was not a job. It, it, would, to, it was not a tactic I at all. all yeah. Because again, back then, was it because um, you didn't think you could get it or you didn't? Well, no, I just did, I, I didn't know what it, I, it never
1: what occurred it, to me what, to work at the NBA. I, you just thought, I wouldn't have not, known what, right, the NBA, I wouldn't even have thought there was a place for me at the right, NBA. Yeah. I would have thought that's for basketball. Yeah, that's not people, you know, yeah, that's not yeah. for me. But anyway, so, but I knew he had made this transition. So, um, several weeks later, um, he called me at one point, an assistant called me at one point and he said, you know, invited me to come um, to his office to meet with him, which was not far short walk from my office. what's
0: his is he he's commissioned
1: yeah so this is, this is what this is 1991 okay. maybe um so you know up. yeah but, is 90, this is 1991 yeah. so um you had me over and again like you couldn't just go on the internet and understand what they did at the nba and this was him truly giving me advice and and saying okay so what do you want to do right. um Um, what interests you, et cetera. I mean, and, you know, very friendly and helpful, but it was just that. And I left his office the first time we met, not thinking I'm waiting for him to call me back. And and, and in fact- Did you say if there's anything here ever? Did you even drop that? No, I didn't even think of it that way. He had an idea for me, which was based on my interest. I remember he thought there might be an opportunity, potentially- do something around what was then um, Turner Broadcast. Sure. So he had developed a relationship with them because David had created this relationship a few, fewer, few years earlier um, with TBS, TNT, and TBS back then. And he thought uh, he just thought like as to be helpful to me. He gave me the name of somebody at Turner, and he said you know, why don't you call this person might be a, a good next meeting just to get a better yeah. sense. Cause I think maybe I had, now that I remember one of the, um, cases I'd worked on in Kravath was we represented what was then time Warner. And there was a huge antitrust case involving HBO. But anyway, I was spending a lot of my time on, in the media world and the media world seemed very fascinating to me. And David had begun to make a name for himself. Like if you were back then, when you read the trades, like yeah, yeah. broadcasting cable magazine stuff, people were saying a lot about David Stern because he had me, um, he had taken the NBA into, you know, cable, like, which is a big thing. And one of the first major properties, the move more cable broadcast television. So he suggested he call this guy. I went back to work. And again, in those days, like being a a pretty junior associate, at large for you know, you couldn't take your work home. There was no internet, you had no cell phones and you were in the office almost all the time. And so I never called this guy. And I remember, um, (laughs) <laughs> uh, several weeks later, I think, you quickly, I and yeah. you dealt with David yeah. a bit. And, you know, so he was pretty, into yeah, yeah, yeah. tell me what he said. Yeah, so he, oh, said, know what he, he said. essentially said, what like, like <laughs> how, like said, along long lines, like, I can't believe you wasted my time. <laughs> asked you asked me for advice. I yeah. gave you advice. Yeah. I suggest yeah. you call this guy yeah. and you never any, called this yeah. guy. Explicatives in any, any, uh, any of that maybe? Probably. Maybe. And so, um, and then I, I for, I was apologizing and saying, Commissioner, I'm sure I was calling him Commissioner Stern. I got caught up in my job. And and I remember I also said to him at the time, because he wanted me, this would have been a position based in Atlanta. Yeah. And at the time, I wasn't thinking yeah. of moving from New York. I, I, I still live in New York. I like living in New York. And so I then sort of nervously said, you know, Commissioner Stern, thank you. You know, I probably is not the right next step for me and I'm caught up at work, work anyway. So that, of course... David was always a step ahead. So there was always a reason for everything he did. He wasn't just calling me to say, why didn't you call this guy? He then said, well, why didn't you just tell me you didn't want, weren't interested in that job. He said, call my assistant. I want you to come back and see me. I have something else I want to talk to you about. So I said, okay. And you know, like, you know, then everything moves slower. Sure. Now. So it was coming three weeks yeah. before I went back to see him. And that's when I went back to see him. Um, that's when, he first suggested, you know, maybe, maybe um, there's an opportunity at the NBA to be my assistant. Right. And David um, wanted someone to be his so-called special assistant. He wanted a lawyer. He very specifically wanted a lawyer, but he didn't want the person to be part of the NBA's legal department. He wanted the person to be outside. And he dramatically undersold the job. I said, I want to make this clear. He said, you know, the way you hear it works at a talent agency, like you start in the mailroom and get it. a coffee." you know you carry my briefcase all that stuff that's how he described the job to me yeah. and he said i'm sure this is beneath you you're not going to want it but you'd have the opportunity to transition into business and then who knows where this would take you but i could really use someone and incidentally it's the person who had currently had the job was bal ackerman oh, yeah. the first president of WMBL. Um, She. Um, she was going on maternity leave, uh, so that's, that's why th- that's why there was an opening, and I think he had an understanding with Val that when she came back, she was then going to move to a different position, which right. she did. This was pre WNBA, right. um, so we talked about it, and then I remember we didn't, and David liked long meetings. I mean, we probably, I mean, I never would interview someone this long. I mean, we probably sat in his office from like nine thirty to noon. You know, he's like he, you know, and, and, and my favorite thing about David interviewing. The less you said, the more he liked you. I, always, I would always
0: give more advice going in for interviews today Don't say a lot. But that, well, I, I can imagine you didn't say much. I didn't say much. I didn't have much to say. So, so, so when I asked before, then you're there, and I'm guessing the dynamic, and I think I'm right. He talked a lot, and you listened. You know, so when I, I remember, my hands were like this. I remember his, he'd sort of at a conference table, which served at his desk,
1: and my hands were like this. And when I picked up my hands, it was wet. So <laughs> it was wet. And I remember, they didn't move. nerves nurse. and i was kind of like hope he doesn't see that so then he called me about a week later and offered me this position as his special assistant which i took at a fairly substantial pay cut from the job i had working at this prestigious new york law firm and that's so by the time i started so i think the first meeting with david i'm guessing was at the towards the end of 1991 and i
0: remember i started right before the barcelona olympics Yeah, yeah and so you're you're for those that so david's this type of personality and you're here and you're working with somebody did you find yourself when i ask about your confidence he's he's at the other end of the spectrum and you're you're and that's probably why you worked well together when did you start pushing back and not not that he was deserve that when did the dynamic shift a little bit where you started saying that's not what I would do David or that's well that's wrong we, just before I get to that because back to your earlier question
1: again I, I just want to pause to say how much credit I give David for who I am today yeah can can I explain, explain that
0: well like, I think besides I, 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 gave, you, I, I
1: spent, gave you a job remember, I worked for David in a few different I had a few different titles along yeah. the way I became senior vice president president of NBA Entertainment I was deputy commissioner but I was always sort of David's special assistant. I mean, I mean, yeah. we always had yeah, yeah. this unique sure. relationship. He was, yeah. Yeah. you know, roughly twenty years yeah. or so older than than I am. And back in the early days when I started at the M.E.A., we were together all the time. I mean, again, you didn't go home and go yeah. on your phone yeah, you or on your computer at night. At work. And he was a worker. Yeah. I mean, and he stayed. He came early and he stayed late. And I, I single was just there. We tr- went, Wherever he traveled, I went with him. That's what he wanted in a special assistant. And a lot of it was through osmosis. I mean, there were times along the way where he would stop and say, pay attention, watch how I do this. Okay. But it was rare. It was more, I remember, I mean, just like one like sweet moment. I remember when the first time I traveled with him, we went to his suite at some hotel and he was unpacking. They explained to me how he packed. No and I'm not thinking of myself. Like nobody ever told me how to pack. And my dad didn't tell me how to pack. You know, he's like, I put my yeah. shirts in this plastic. Yeah. I put yeah. use the
0: plastic from the dry cleaner, put on my suits, I hang them this way. But, like, you know, he was this is a different time. Yeah, for the rest of like, you're not telling Mark Tatum how to pack like yeah, but this is a different time, right? Yeah. I think what you're saying is when you were reared up in this business, it was much more personal, right? Yeah. Because you couldn't just get each other on the phone all the time. And so you traveled together. You you sat in the office late together. And so when you say you owe a lot, besides him, him helping you advance, and ensure sure you earned that. When you lead now, now you're now you have that job. You don't lead like him, and it's not an indictment of him at all. You're just very. Do diff- not say. David was not my
1: father or father figure to me. I had a father, but he filled a lot of gaps in my life, and I think where he gave me a lot of confidence because. Part of probably the reason I was afraid to speak out in class and stuff like that, and I was shy, I didn't have the confidence in myself that I could have my own voice. He helped you get that. He really did, and part of it— And that's pretty later in your life. Yeah, and then it it is, and I think a little bit, David was a bit of a sink or swim guy. I mean, he wasn't always providing me the specific guidance, but he gave me a lot—what happened was after I got to the Gary Bettman left— at the end of 1992, I think he became commissioner like in January of 93. So we only overlapped about six months. And when Gary left, classic David, um, he said, just give me all of Gary's responsibilities. I'll take those on too. He didn't really fill the gap. He, you know, some people got promoted, but remember, I'd gone to the initially called Dave because I was fascinated with media and production and Gary had the report of NBA entertainment. So here I was almost just by happenstance getting to work on all these issues that I had really that I was really most interested in I mean I didn't come in as a basketball person I was a fan but I was particularly interested in production and media and television rights and so David kind of just let me go and said you, you, know, said, you know go for it and yeah. let me start doing things and Dave the, the great thing about David too he didn't care about people's stature like I always said about you know to, in the defense of David like he was out of line sometimes but he was equal opportunity Like, whether he was talking to an NBA governor or whether he was talking to a low-level NBA employee, he acted the same way. You know, he didn't pull any punches. And, you know, he, and he, David was, I mean, one thing I picked up from him, he was kind of unafraid. Like, he he didn't spend his time concerned with how people are going to judge him. He sort of was a truth teller, too. And sometimes it really hurt because if you would do something, if I, you know had to give a speech or whatever and wasn't very good he would say you weren't very good <laughs> and it was hard to take sometimes no, but yeah. no but on the other and then when he gave you a compliment it yeah. felt
0: yeah. legit and what is the best thing he taught you
1: and the, the the best thing that david taught me he had this expression about um execution in detail um he was so thorough i mean i i translated into pay attention those yeah. weren't his precise yeah. words but if you asked david to watch a video, he really watched it. He didn't watch it while he was half on, you know, for whatever, a computer or watch What he was doing something else at the same time. And he would, like he had an eye, like what David taught me that if somebody even said, here's a rough cut of a 30 second commercial, like he told me another way to look at it where, you know, well, was, the name identifying the player up long enough that somebody could actually yeah. read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, was... Okay, I got you. You know, Detail. like, he looked yeah. look at the cuts of the yeah. video. Did yeah. the music really yeah. make yeah. sense? Yeah. You know, what was the light yeah. that the player was put in? And David, every... And he brought that same focus and concentration to every letter he wrote, okay. every speech he gave. I mean, when David did something, you know, whatever, it's like a Coach K expression, he was all in. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he yeah. truly was. Like, David... Yeah. Like when he gave you his attention, when he focused on something, now he could be really critical, but he never half stepped. Like he would, he was like, he had incredible focus, and
0: that attention to detail is really what I learned from him. More lead by example after this. And we're back. Toughest thing you've had to deal with in your tenure, artist thing. It's probably what I haven't dealt with yet. <laughs> I mean, there's you know, time this job. You're, time out. You've dealt with some tough stuff. I mean, maybe more. I mean, not to compare, but with whether owners um, having to sell their team, um, some international issues, social justice, COVID. That's not. Say, those are pretty. Yeah, it's. I mean, to be quite honest. I, I it's, it's hard to rank them. No, nah, yeah, there's right. been a lot of. What was issues. the one where you kept you up the most? Probably initially
1: everything around China yeah. I mean just because it commanded so much global attention right. I mean some of these other things are more um, NBA centric yeah. I think that I was I was in China um, after the whole thing with the tweet and I since I didn't realize I mean you've been in the middle you know yeah. you are with right. Right. huge issues that people might not believe it on the outside, but you're so busy dealing with the issue.
0: It's not as if you're sitting there going through social media or reading you know, newspaper yeah, clips right, or right. watching Stories television. I think, is healthy to yeah. make a decision, but, but you can't ignore that part of it.
1: Yeah, I just remember I came home from China, and 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 there's also, in China, you don't have access to all the same media. I mean, it's not as if people can't call you. People can right. send you yeah, emails yeah, right, and call right. you in China and stuff. But I didn't realize that it was on the front page of the new york times the front page of the wall street yeah. journal for multiple yeah. days i'd say that like because it felt existential at the time after the right. i mean certainly the issues around COVID, the decision to stop playing when to start again i think you and i have many yep. discussions along yep. the way yep. Yep. where i think i mean this this is so recent but at the same time people to remember when we decided to play in a bubble that was something nobody had ever heard of before we were kind of inventing as we went Players, coaches were very concerned that they were going to get this terrible disease. People, remember, were scrubbing FedEx boxes and stuff like that. And, you know, I felt the greater responsibility. I mean, we had a panel of great doctors and scientists and a lot of team owners were very engaged and and team presidents and everybody else. But ultimately, I was making decisions and felt like, my God, like, what if people get sick? Or what if, you know, what if this doesn't work? The, The financial consequences were enormous. So, like... I mean, what I, think, I think, look, what the thing about both of our jobs, one of the things that attracts us to it is that everything in society seems to impact us, things around whether it's international relations, COVID,
0: clearly race relations, social justice issues. You know what I find, if, what, what, what criticism hurts the most? Because I, I do, not at your level, but you make these decisions that are often imperfect. And you, you can't, I mean, I guess you can say I did the best I could. That's all we're doing anyway. What, what criticism feels the most pointed when you, when you want to kind of say that's unfair or, 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 you know what? Um, that's, that's beyond. Cause you and I have talked a little bit about stuff that comes your way. Yeah, I, I think, think it's I, hard. I think it's gotta be tough. I think one, I, I,
1: like for example, in the case of, um, Robert Sarver, um, we made a decision to be transparent about the report. So it would be hypocritical of me to be issue a public report and say, how dare people have opinions sure. or different sure. minds. I think the, the criticism that I find most unfair is when it's easy to say is when people change the facts. Like I, I think okay. like if you, you know, and but that I, happens, it does. It does. Like, I, I just like say, like what's established the facts. Then if somebody, you know, a situation in China, for example, and say, all right, this is what happened. If people want to disagree with then my subsequent actions of course they're entitled to i think what ends up happening though is that it all gets conflated opinion and fact together yeah. and i also think the media too doesn't i think of when i was younger it seemed that in most news organizations there was a mar- much sharper distinction between what was news and i recognize yeah you could people could spend hours talking about what's truly objective but it seemed at least that There were the facts and then there was what we used to call the, you know, op-ed pages, you know, the editorial section where it wasn't just editorial of the newspaper, but people wrote columns and it was clearly opinion. I feel like with a lot of the sports coverage, what's happened now, because most people don't pick up their their daily newspaper to get the results. They've gotten those in real time. So now most sports recorders are really giving their opinion as opposed to Here's what's happened in the first quarter, second sure. quarter, and and I think and therefore I completely accept their entitled opinion. I just think sometimes that gets confused with the actual facts
0: that happen. Yeah. But I again, we we are yes. both part of this business. We accept what what. So two questions, kind of similarly, but if you go, but how many years now, Commissioner? Um, it started in 2014, so eight, eight. Okay, so do you have so it's my 30th year with the Delu- league, which is crazy. Yeah. Do you have a biggest? Well, two things. One one thing, if you said, you know what, if I got could go back, I might change something. And two, what are you most like? What do you feel the most proud of? And it could just be still doing it. Uh, the league's in a good place, or it could be there was a moment where there was a big decision, and I had to. I will tell you, 2016, we lost in the NBA final, which would not some would most would think that's not a proud moment. And when we lose, uh, the next day, the GM sits across from the players. I was never more proud of our players in, in a loss, in how they acted in a loss. Now, I could also say I'm proud of championships, but for me, it was a real defining moment to say that I'm proud to work with these people. Like, we, we, we've, we've done something here that even at our lowest moment, we're still acting honorably and, and respectfully. Um, but I don't know if you have something where you had a moment of crisis or maybe it's hey i'm, I'm every day i'm proud of the effort i put
1: forward i said you know when i hear people say they have no regrets
0: yeah that's, i'm always you
1: can answer the question no i'm all i yeah i never regrets. Regret. i hope that's true that they really yeah, yeah, yeah. sleep well I, I, no, I don't know what i have no regrets i mean i'm a second guesser yeah just i always have been and so i have a very long list of things that um often many of which public wouldn't be aware of. It's not some major pronouncement I made. But I think every day I'm constantly thinking how I handle myself in a particular interaction with a coworker right. or right. um with a team owner or anything else. I'm always thinking about what I would do differently yeah. in hindsight. So I don't there's not no. one thing that stands out and I say, boy, I wish I yeah. could have that back. I mean, I put my foot in my mouth in plenty of interviews. Yeah. I mean I'm I I, you know, even though it's amazing, eight years as commissioner um thirty years to league, I think one of the reasons I'm so engaged with this job, I really do feel like I'm learning every day. Yeah. You know, even yeah. like coming here today, I've been talking to a bunch of people this afternoon, it's really helpful to me. You know, now seemingly there's still plenty of yeah, COVID out there, but we're all back, back to a normal schedule and people are living their lives. Like being out there and being opportunity to talk to whether people, teams, fans, et cetera, I find incredibly helpful because I'm constantly learning and thinking, okay, that's a really interesting yeah. point. I do those things differently. So and then, and then I think it's the same on the inverse of moments I'm particularly proud of. It's, it's, it's sort of the same thing. And I, the one thing I've, I've realized in these jobs, and I'm sure you see in your position, is that I, it's not like I'm just like, it's an act like to be humble. I am humble. I really yeah, no, am fortunate to be in this job. It's a happenstance. Like I was the right place at the right time. I feel this tremendous obligation to the, literally, when you think about the jobs that this league provides for, when you include all the people, the people work in our arenas during day game. It's tens of thousands of people's livelihood is dependent on this. So, you know, I'm, I'm very focused on that at all times. And, and also I do, and I learned this a little bit from David, um, to try to live in the moment. I mean, he didn't look back much at all. I mean, he, and he would acknowledge privately, sure. He wished he could do take things back, but he was too engaged in the sort of the present moment. Now it's easy to say, we all want to be that person who's living in the moment. And Sometimes you invariably get pulled to sort of like stop and, and try to move on. But
0: anyway, I, 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 I would say two things that you said. I'm built a little bit like you when I I'm a second guesser too. And I always tell people the worst I beat myself when I make the mistake is the worst for me. Other people, sometimes you think in a leadership position, you have to deal with somebody else's mistake. I can do that. What I really struggle with is when I screw up, like when I say something publicly or do something, and I go, "I, that was my fault. I I couldn't control that." And then secondly, as a leader, when you say what you're proud of, the the word I really like what what I would describe you as um, is is uh, is very decent man, like a very deep. You know, you you talked about your dad and what he was and what he accomplished, and and um, to me, I know you're a, you're a dad now. You've got you know, um, children and, and a family. Um, so you've accomplished all these things, but you listen, you know, you, you care. And I know that forget about these cameras and stuff like that. I, I think it's hard to be like that in what is somewhat of a ruthless job. I mean, these are high stakes. And so how do you maintain that part of your character? Right? Because Sometimes it's easier to not be that guy and not be empathetic and just say, I don't care what anybody says, this is what we're doing. It's really interesting you use the word decent
1: because I would not be describing myself, but especially you, know, given the earlier conversation about my father, I, it's the word I would have used to, to describe him. So you really picked up on that, that he was decent and incredibly empathetic. Like I think always with my dad, he'd come from a very humble background. Um, grew up in Hell's Kitchen in New York City. Like I said, he went to law school on the GI Bill, and I think he always had um, this sense in life that even though he'd become a great l- lawyer and you know and and done all kinds of incredible things with his life, that it could have easily gone a different direction. Right. Um, that maybe he wouldn't have gone to college, wouldn't have gone to law school. He could have step left instead of right or whatever else and so i've always tried to keep that in mind yeah. that um you know to, to tr- it's, it's not always so easy to keep that perspective yeah. Yeah. on our lives to think that look how fortunate we are yeah. to be part of this league to be healthy yeah. um um to be living alive yeah. we are to, to be in a position to lead others to influence others so um you know that 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 always is how I try to keep my bearings. And even there are times I remember where David, who you would describe sort of as a tough guy, yeah. there were times when he said to me, like literally, be tougher. Yeah. And like I like I was never going to be tough the way David was because to David sometimes t- toughness came with a certain physical intimidation. Yeah. me a you know he was sort of bellowing people yeah. and it was kind of like. Yeah really you know bang the table and raise his voice but I feel in my own way yeah. I can be tough but I think that back to your earlier question was finding my own voice
0: yeah. but with a certain decency yeah. to it no it's we, over the last I think it was holidays something was happening with our team and this was in 2021 winter and I was not present and I, because I had COVID and something happened, and I was talking to Rick or somebody on your side, and I didn't, I didn't let that out because I was trying to deal with it. And then I couldn't do my job as well as I wanted to because I wasn't around the team. And so I finally had to tell someone, I said, you know, I, I have COVID. like I, That's why I'm not around. And I remember you called me, and you, you, know, and you said, I'm sorry, and this and that. And, and I, uh, it's, a, it, it's things like that that people watching might say, of course, but not of course. That's not. That's not everybody does that, and I, and I thought that's a nice. I appreciated that, but there's we've had. I mean, the NBA. I, even when Draymond got suspended, you handled that with. You know, I I respected the way you did it. It wasn't a, it wasn't. Um, this is the rules. This is where it. There was an empathy to it. There was, and it wasn't. You didn't change your mind because the rules are the rules, and we I understood that. But how it was conveyed, I always appreciated. Like I. Didn't feel good about it. Let's put it that way. But you got to do your job, you know. Um, last question. Um, you've seen 30 for 30s, right? You've seen these things. So, so they do the Adam 30 for 30. And at the end, they're interviewing your daughters. And they say, so what kind of dad was he? What do you want him to say? Is this where you're supposed to make me cry? <laughs> no, I want to, you know, you know, why I ask you that because all these accomplished people, yeah. right? That are, well successful wealthy and then they interview the kids at the end and they go i didn't i don't really know my dad you know he wasn't there or yeah we don't talk so i always think of those things as kind of like we highlight these people and i'm not putting you in this category that are successful right because they made a lot of money and did a lot of things and then you look at what is left and what is left is everybody knows you you have a ton of acquaintances but your family's not there um I'd, I'd want my daughters to say that i was
1: decent the same way i think of my father that you know i was thoughtful i was understanding i was empathetic and probably most importantly and this is a challenge in our jobs is that i was present yeah you know and and that's the one where as my daughters get older um, trying to balance because we're both in jobs where often just showing up yeah because the positions we're in makes a big difference yeah. and even Frankly, you could be half asleep, but yeah. Yeah. we we have these roles. Yeah. And it's symbolic to the commissioner to be certain places. Yeah. It's symbolic for yeah. you to be certain yeah. places. Yep. And that's where I'm I'm just trying to sort it through. And I also realize that it's a myth around balance. Yeah. You know what I, but what I also hope to teach my daughters is that this is something that your father loves. Yeah. That he gets enormous um joy from yeah and that i hope you in your lives find sure something that you also yeah. really want to devote yourselves to whatever it is yeah sure you know and give your all to yeah and and that's i think part of being a great parent is like being that example to your kids sure so um those are the things and and and, and um and i and i also learned you know, to the extent that it was a different time with my parents, I'll just say that, that I do want to be more involved in their lives. I want them to feel they can talk to me about anything, right. that um, that I'm going to support them right. no matter what. It's not, I think I was a little of the era where, you know, if you if you got the A, you got the gold star. Yeah, and, yeah, but yeah. if you didn't, yeah. you know, then somehow at least I yeah. felt diminished, yeah. you know, by virtue of of that success was measured more that way and that's how you earned love. Yeah. yeah. So I certainly don't want them to ever feel that way. Yeah. I want them to always feel so fully supported,
0: whatever they choose to do. That's all I got, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for coming on.